0: This is Lou Augusta. Welcome to A Rumor of Empathy. Today's podcast is entitled, Transference and Empathy. While empathy is seemingly an exceedingly short supply in the world, you do not need a philosopher or a psychoanalyst to tell you what empathy is. Every mother, every parent, every teacher with students, every business person with customers, every doctor with patients, every attorney with clients, every politician with supporters or opponents, every person with next door neighbors knows what empathy is whether or not he or she practices it in relation to their neighbors. We shall start with the folk definition of empathy. Take a walk in the other person's shoes. And I add one additional significant important recommendation. First, take off your own shoes before putting on the other person's shoes. This is an action that is routinely overlooked, neglected, forgotten. And the result is one gets projection instead of empathy. One gets projection instead of an experience of the other person. Transference is what happens when humans do what they cannot stop doing, make things mean things. Make sense of situations by assimilating these situations to configurations, patterns, or models from other alternative configurations, patterns, models, and expectations based on previous experience, based on what people have had to survive growing up, coming up, or indeed in other current ongoing contemporary situations. Yet what may have been helpful in one context to enable the person to survive or flourish is often less helpful or even harmful in other situations in that distortions and misunderstandings are introduced by the misfit of the old pattern or configuration to the new situation or set of individuals. A couple of examples will be useful. I have an easy one, a simple one, and a more elaborate, complicated, involved one, the simple one. You didn't put the cap on the toothpaste. It means you don't love me. Now, if I have come up in an environment in which love is demonstrated by doing what the other person tells you to do, as opposed, say, to offering choices, then not putting the cap on the toothpaste, even though the other person asked multiple times to do so, has profound implications. The implications are transferred, key term, transferred from the context, however it came about coming up, where love means doing as you are asked to the other current situation of dental hygiene. I think you can see that this might create some problems and misunderstandings. We'll come back to this. The second example, more complicated and involved is an example from my real world empathy consulting practice with significant details changed to preserve anonymity and confidentiality. The empathy, consulting client, comes in and says he saw the film, Elephant Man, directed by the celebrated director, David Lynch, 1980. And he, the client, was deeply moved. The narrative is based on a true story. The narrative is the true story of an individual, a historic person, David Merrick. Check out the Wikipedia article on background. An individual... David Merrick suffering from Proteus syndrome, often confused with neurofibromatosis, which results in disfiguring folds of skin and tissue on the head and other pulmonary and renal abnormalities, which tend to shorten the person's life. Deeply moved, I ask by what aspect in particular? After being a freak, physically disfigured, literally performing in a circus sideshow, lacking humanity, David Merrick meets a doctor who acknowledges his humanity. The recognition of humanity, the key line of the film, I am a human being, I am a man, is the most dramatic utterance, the most penetrating and the empathic moment in the movie. The client reports being moved to tears and having had a satisfying cry. Without further discussion, the client then spontaneously speculates wondering if there was a parallel with our relationship, my relationship to him and his, to me, my having recognized something in him that others had not seen. Without going into confidential details, he comes to me struggling in a relationship in his life. Should I go forward? Should I give it up? Uh, and working with him back and forth, around and around, we're not going to go into the details of that. I manage to see around or through, and to encourage or and or subtly influence his seeing around or through a significant blind spot in his life that kept him insensitive to an aspect of his father's behavior which was running his life and the father's life too and not in a positive way in a, in a in a destructive way uh, yet uh, uh not acknowledged so this uh, working in the blind spot and uh, getting him to uh, know what he hadn't known, uh, to get in touch with what he didn't even know he didn't know. This enabled the client to shift his relationship to his life partner, indeed, as well as to his father, and to advance in a direction that he wanted to do so and that actually could not have been predicted when we first met. The parallelism, the transference, is the recognition of humanity, the empathy which I uh, was committed to giving him and did give him, and uh, likewise in a much more dramatic, indeed it's, it's a kind of a gothic movie with a lot of darkness and, 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 and disfigurement. Nevertheless, Merrick uh, is acknowledged and uh, the doctor in question Uh, gives him recognition of humanity, which is the empathic moment. So that's a dramatic example in that case. Let us further define our terms now. Transference is the carrying across of meaning from one context model or paradigm to another one. It is different than metaphor, which speaking Greek metaphor means carrying across or beyond metaphor. Uh, But different, but perhaps not that much different. We human beings have a tendency to make things mean other things. We human beings are meaning-making machines in the sense that we are sources of acts of conscious intentionality that bring meaning to our encounters with nature and to our fellow human beings in community. There is indeed something mechanistic about the way we automatically go about making things mean things. We can't seem to stop doing it, which results in innovations and discoveries and dramatic breakthroughs, but also has, if you will, a darker side. It also results in distortions and misunderstandings. We take behaviors, conversations, circumstance, and try to make sense out of them by bringing meaning to them which sometimes implies and applies very well, but sometimes it doesn't. At risk of oversimplification, transference takes a cognitive, behavioral, or emotional response from one context, such as childhood circumstances in the past that one had to survive, and uses it to respond to the uh, friend, colleague, therapist, coach, trainer, neighbor, in a similar parallel way. And typically this introduces distortion or extraneous issues into the relationship. Now I have a dramatic statement. I assert that empathy and transference are the opposite of one another. I assert that empathy are at opposite ends of a spectrum of ways of relating. How so? In empathy, one takes a walk in the shoes of the other person. The better to understand the other person and create and relate authentically to the other individual. There are many aspects of empathy and many definitions, and we're going to look at some of those. But all of these aspects converge on the idea that empathy is an authentic form of relatedness to the other person. If anything, it's a myth that we're all alone. The basic way we human beings have of being is and are as related to one another. We are related. Get rid of the judgments, assessments, evaluations, and be with the other person without applying labels, categories, and prejudice. Indeed, that's the one minute empathy training drive out judgments, assessments, evaluations, bad language, bullying, aggression, hostility, and na- empathy naturally comes forth. Human beings are naturally empathic. We want to be empathic. And you can see this is a big job. It's going to take more than one minute, although the training itself is very concise. Uh, because why? The, the human beings are, yes, aggressive and hostile, but we're also very kind and empathic. So uh, these two things uh, compete for our energies and intentions. Back to empathy and transference. Empathy is an authentic form of relatedness, the authentic form of relatedness. Transference is at the other end of the spectrum of authentic relatedness. The narrow definition of transference says take a pattern or way of relating from one situation, such as childhood or an experience in another context, and apply it to the current relationship or situation. The result is a distortion of the relatedness. The result is an inauthentic way of relating. In order now to bring forth an empathic relationship, one has to interpret and resolve the transference distortions. Now a clarification. To prevent misunderstanding, one must distinguish between transference in a narrow sense and transference in an enlarged sense. At risk of oversimplification, when transference was first discovered by Freud, that would be Sigmund, in old Vienna in between 1895 and 1910, it seemed like an obstacle to psychotherapeutic, psychoanalytic treatment. Freud, by the way, was trained as a neurologist, not as a psychiatrist, though he did long for recognition from the psychiatric community throughout his whole life. And eventually he got some, there was nevertheless always this kind of uh, fraught relationship there with some of the colleagues. In any case, when transference, he first innovated around the distinction transference, it seemed like an obstacle to treatment. The patient related to Freud as an authority figure, such as the father, the authoritarian father, in the case of a male patient, or as a seductive father figure in the case of a female patient, whereas Freud regarded himself as a kind even empathic, listener to the patient's struggle and suffering. He was trying to help them with their uh, functional neurological paralysis, their struggling behavior. And instead, uh, he was uh, uh, meeting with provocative rebellion or what seemed to him at the time, in any case, a certain seductive uh, behavior. This is, of course, a, a caricature of the encounter Uh, But, uh, you know, uh, it happened uh, uh, that Frau Schmidt, happily married with a couple of children, was dealing with hysterical, difficult symptoms, unexplained uh, fainting, uh, maybe even um, uh, paralysis. And uh, she would undertake a course of treatment with Professor Freud. And at some point it happened, she would come in and say to him, I have a confession to make, Dr. Freud. I'm madly in love with you. And unless—and uh, I propose to leave my husband and children. And unless you marry me, I will kill myself. And without skipping a beat, he would say, uh, Frau Schmidt, uh, uh, this is a part of the treatment. Not that I would marry you such a thing would not be workable in the the circumstances. Nevertheless, what you are doing here is transferring your feelings of affection, your idealizing relationship that you had for your own father onto me. And part of the treatment here is to disentangle this transference. And with any luck, the work would go forward from that point. Eventually, as noted, Freud realized that the patient was relating to him as to an important figure from the patient's past. Regardless of how Freud tried to treat the patient, the patient treated him or herself, the patient, with transference, by responding with a transference of meaning from one area of the patient's life to the relationship with Freud, just as significantly Freud discovered that the patient was doing this in other areas of his life or her life as well, towards his lady friend, towards the superiors at work, uh, in 101 ways, with problematic results that caused, of course, the individual to seek treatment for his suffering and conflicts. And as noted, for example, when the patient was a woman, the transference was not hostile or rebellious, but erotic this can be motivated further. If the listener saw Vigo Morgenstern, I got to get that name right, the guy who played uh, in the uh, Hobbit trilogy as well. If you saw Vigo Morgenstern play the middle-aged Freud in the film, A Dangerous Method, then you know what I mean. This guy was hot. Though unlike Carl Gustav Jung, Freud was clear about professional boundaries. Quote, the patient has transferred onto the doctor intense feelings of affection which are justified neither by the doctor's behavior nor by the situation that has developed during treatment, end quote. If you want the exact page in the introductory lectures on psychoanalysis, I'm not gonna be putting the page numbers here, see the blog post The, in effect, hard copy blog post at www.empathylessons.com, dated June 11th, 2022, of the same title, Transference and Empathy. It is in interpreting this transference based on behavior different than that of the original, uh, perhaps seductive parental individual and suitable uh, variable feedback, that the cure of the neurosis is affected. Quoting again, at the end of the analytic treatment, the transference must itself be cleared away. And if success is then obtained or continues, it rests not on suggestion, but on the achievement by its means of an overcoming of internal resistances on the internal change that has been brought about in the patient in, once again, introductory lectures. I take the liberty of including several other definitions of transference by leading figures who defined it. Those uh, readers, once again, who wish the actual page numbers will check out the blog post, Transference and Empathy, dated June 11, 2022. Quoting Thomas Saz, or perhaps you say Saz, S-Z, A-S-Z, who was otherwise a notorious psychoanalytic bad boy denouncing the myth of mental illness, he was a classic Freudian when it came to defining transference. Quote, Freud conceived of transference love as an illusion because the situation and treatment cannot account for the origin of such feelings. It, transference, is considered an expression of interest basically directed towards childhood objects, deflected to the analyst or to the figures in the patient's current life. For Carl M Grossman, transference is defined in a broad sense that goes beyond the psychoanalytic context. Transference is a universal human psychological characteristic which causes the internal representation of certain objects, but they're actually subjects, such as parents or parental parental surrogates from one infantile past to be projected onto a succession of later ostensibly unrelated persons. The transferring person then reacts to the new person, the new object, with the anachronistically habitual reaction in adult life that he had had towards the originally invested object in infancy. Ralph Greenson asserts, transference is a special kind of relationship to a person. It is a distinctive type of object relationship. The main characteristic is the experience of feeling to a person which do not befit that person and which actually apply to another. Essentially, a person in the present is reacted to as though he were a person in the past. Transference is a repetition, a new addition of an old object language. As noted, there is a broader sense of transference that developed in which transference becomes the entire relationship between the individuals, the entire relationship between the self and the other the entire relationship, if it's a therapeutic context, between the therapist and the patient or client. And wherever there is transference, can countertransference be far away? Under this idiosyncratic and enlarged meeting, countertransference becomes the therapist's, or shall we say, the empathy consultant's way of relating to the patient. For example, according to Paula Heinemann, under this interpretation of the relationship, quote, countertransference covers all the feelings the analyst experience towards the patient. Of course, end quote, of course, countertransference can mean an unprofessional or pathological response on the part of the therapist or empathy consultant or coach as when he or she behaves in a moralizing, aggressive or seductive manner but it can also include appropriate and positive responses, such as empathic responses, empathic receptivity, understanding, responsiveness. In the extreme, countertransference comes to mean empathy itself. Hyman's thesis is, quote, that the analyst's emotional response to his patient within the analytic situation represents one of the most important tools for her or his work. The analyst's countertransference is an instrument of research into the client's, the patient's uh, unconscious. Uh, Heinemann doesn't use the word client, end quote. The transference is not empathy, but the countertransference is essential input to the empathic process, even if not quite reducible to empathy itself. When Freud innovated decisively in decoding the meaning of dreams in The Interpretation of Dreams, 1900, and The Exploration of Infantile Sexuality, 1905, from a clinical perspective, the elaboration of transference defined the clinical encounter between patient and therapist in the context of psychoanalysis. Transference becomes coextensive with the encounter between patient and therapist. If you can't form a transference, since the therapy consists in interpreting and raising and undoing and solving the transference, the therapy is not gonna work. We now turn from transference to empathy. Freud explicitly states, he explicitly states that unless the physician begins with empathy, in engaging in psychoanalysis. That physician is headed for trouble. He doesn't say so, but it sounds like it would be a little bit like jumping out of an airplane without a parachute. The issue is that nearly no one knows that Freud said this because James and Alex Strachey mistranslate the word empathy in German, Einfühlung, They mistranslate it as sympathetic understanding. I must insist on the point. We are on firm ground as far as Freud's guidance is concerned. Empathy and sympathetic understanding are not the same thing, and what is more, in a kind of Nachträglichkeit, key term Nachträglichkeit, retrospective consideration we lose the opportunity to connect Freud's guidance. I comment on this in some detail in my book, 2014, uh, dated 2014, A Rumor of Empathy, Rewriting Empathy in the Context of Philosophy. There's a whole chapter on this mistranslation, really. That's a scandal. Thus, we have the kind of empathy wars that uh, Heinz Kohut had to fight to demonstrate that empathy had a transformational, as it's called, a mutative effect on the structure of the self, presumably and especially including the ego. When Freud demonstrated by his empathic way of relating to the patient, including by his verbal interventions, his verbal interpretations, that he was not the authoritarian figure or seductive parental figure of the patient's past or the individual in the trauma, the uncle, the patient would often resist, deny, or offer other defensive gestures against Freud's interventions and interpretations. But eventually the evidence would add up. The conversation would go on. Freud was not the unkind parent or the seductive uncle. The mischief was coming from the patient's unconscious and from the patient's circumstances of the past partially remembered partially forgotten not at all clear distorted not coming from freud with this realization after a lot of working through around and round and back and forth the patient was reliably able to shift out of stuckness and enjoy a new beginning in her or his work and romantic relatedness thanks to freud's revolutionary new method of treatment Now, although there are numerous definitions of empathy, uh, and an enlarged use of the term, in the narrow sense, empathy is considered a psychological mechanism, which as in folk psychology and as noted, consists in taking a walk in the other person's shoes. And once again, it is rarely noted, but noted here, and this needs to be better known, ladies and gentlemen, spread the word. You must take off your own shoes before putting on those of the other, or you risk the distortion and defense of projection. Now, as a psychological mechanism, Heinz Kohant defines empathy as vicarious introspection, key term vicarious introspection, though he does not, he, Kohat, does not merely define empathy in that way. In an enlarged sense, empathy means being present with the other person without applying judgments, labels, moralizing assessments, all the bad stuff, bad use of language, politics in the pejorative sense. As I use the word presence, it should not be understood as a source or a justification for any deviations or boundary issues or violations. If anything, presence means being with the other person in the Heideggerian sense of being, in the ontological sense of being, in the sense even of Mitsein, which is the necessary German here, Mitsein, being with, or even better, going on being, as D.W. Winnicott, Winnicott employed the term. Going on being. even though not necessarily visible, and if seated behind the couch, the analyst's listening is a strong presence. Now, one of the most enlarged uses of the terms empathy is to be found in Kohut. For Kohut, Heinz Kohut, empathy defines the entire field of therapeutic interrelation, and one can even give a argument to that effect. Quote, empathy is not just a useful way by which we have access to the inner life of man, persons, human beings. I paraphrase. The idea itself of an inner life of man and thus of a psychology of complex mental states is unthinkable without our ability to know via vicarious introspection. Kohat says, my explanation of empathy, what the inner life of man is and what we ourselves and what others think and feel. And here I will actually give you the page number, page 306 in The Restoration of the Self, published 1977. In this statement, empathy is the foundation of our relations to other persons, to other individuals. This is a restatement and an expansion of Kohat's celebrated statement in 1959 where empathy is the method of data gathering about other human beings, precisely about what other human individuals feel and think. In turn, this method defines the scope and limits of psychoanalysis as a therapy theory and a discipline. The field of empathy, that of psychoanalytic therapy, these two fields become co-extensive. As noted, one individual does not directly access the mental states of the other person, but rather has a vicarious experience of the other person's experience. In empathy, one is receptive to the micro expressions of the other person's experience. One has, so to say, an afterimage, a vicarious experience of what the other is experiencing. The innovations continue. Kohat innovates around transference and the establishment of what was first called idealizing transference and then transference of the grandiose self and then narcissistic transference and ultimately becomes self-object, key term, self-object transference in a distinct phase in the history of transference and, and unfortunately tends to live split off like a bastion, like a separate entity in the context of the discussion of transference and empathy except in innovators such as Kohut, and also to in many interesting ways in heinrich Racker, who we will come back to Uh, for example i mean is there any evidence of self-object transference in freud's case history of the wolfman uh, who has aspects of depletion and grandiosity of narcissistic personality disorder there's a lot more work that needs to be done on this The self object needs to be defined and it represents the function that other people have for oneself. My relation to other people is mediated by this kind of transitional object, the self object. You're not exactly my teddy bear. I'm thinking of Elvis Presley's song. He wants his potential romantic partner to be his teddy bear. I got to put on my inner Elvis here, nevertheless, uh, the idea being that uh, nobody is uh, of course, I don't that's not to be taken literally, but that's an object of affection and maybe even of more than affection of seduction of romance of the whole the whole nine yards. this is after all elvis um, so uh, but but back to Kohad here, uh, Kohad quote, The general meaning of the term self object is as that dimension of our experience of another person that related to the person's function in shoring up supporting the homeostasis equilibrium equilibriating ourself and that occurs in uh, how does analysis cure page 49 i'm interpolating. Coet says shoring up and i'm paraphrasing supporting the emotional regulation the emotional equilibrium of oneself. My self-esteem gets out of balance and I come home from a tough day at work and I say to my special someone, let me tell you what happened today. And my special someone is understanding and appreciative and really gets me and gives me a good listening. And I get emotionally re-equilibriated. When it works right, that's a good day. In a standard relationship, people interact in such a way that they mutually regulate one another's thoughts, feelings, and actions. This is called friendship. It is also the give and take at the foundation of many forms of interpersonal cooperation, communication, and collaboration. Like I just said, coming home from a hard day at the office or the clinic or the back room, or coming home from a series of Zoom sessions in the back room, you give the other person a good listening, Maybe they vent their frustrations. Let me tell you the double binds, the bullying. The boss is a bully, let me tell you. Then, in giving that listening, you are functioning as a self-object. Presumably, such an interaction or function did not begin with Kohut's coining the term self-object, though it was more clearly delimited and articulated out of the undifferentiated background. One significant difference that I would say, unfortunately, has resulted in controversy and a lack of clarity is how Kohut's self-object transference, previously called narcissistic transference, is sustaining to the patient during the process of interpreting, working through and dissolving the transference and the inevitable transference distortions. Kohat took considerable pain To emphasize, and I might say empathize, that confrontation and moralizing methods would unleash, would let loose reactive rage, anger, narcissistic rage on the part of the patient and that the empathic approach was on critical path. He doesn't actually quote Freud's not famous enough statement. If you begin in any other way, then empathically you're headed for trouble. Uh, And so, uh, nevertheless, um, the way forward means the possibility of relatedness between internal objects, everything from the superego to hostile interjects, to good breasts, to self-objects and the therapist. Key term here is relatedness. When there are disruptions in the relatedness between the, uh, shall we say, between the client and the empathy consultant, between the patient and the therapist uh, that is conceptualized as a breakdown in the transference, the loss of connectedness, even if the connectedness includes distortions and misunderstandings and conflicts. But that is the usually the way it is thought of or described in the context of classical psychoanalysis, where the breakdown of the transference often results in what seems like moralistic or objective, medical judgment, applying diagnosis that the patient is not analyzable. Instead, the relationship between transference and empathy comes into its own, where in the face of a breakdown in transference, empathy is used to restore the transference relationship. For example, speaking of a patient with significant narcissistic disequilibrium, Kohut writes, When the narcissistic transference has become disruptive, this patient, he has the impression that he is not fully real, or at least that his emotions are dull, that he is doing his work without zest, that he seeks routines to carry him along since he appears to be lacking in initiative. Page 16, uh, the analysis of the self. Uh, The restoration of the relatedness and the transference is brought forward When the therapist, using empathic understanding, shows the analyzant that the therapist gets, understands, if you will, empathize with, has vicarious introspection with, how the patient is struggling with a setback or a challenge in his life that left him emotionally disequilibriated, anxious, lethargic, depleted. When this occurs repeatedly in the course of treatment, psychic structure, is built and reinforced in the areas of emotional and behavioral regulation. A cure comes into view. That word cure is fraught. Kohut, 1984, How Does Analysis Cure? Page 66, he writes, the aim and the result of the cure is the opening of a path of empathy between self and self object Specifically, the establishment of empathic in-tuneness between self and sub-self object on mature adult levels. The gradual acquisition of empathic contact with mature self-objects is the essence of the psychoanalytic cure. Of course, one must hasten to add that empathic in-tuneness, quote, end quote, is unlikely even impossible, unless the distortions and illusions of the transference have been engaged interpretively and in an empathic way in the course of making contact with mature self-objects in empathic relatedness. A number of issues occur here that clearly require further research and clarification of terminology. Why would self-object transference be considered transference at all? Here, transference, again, gets used in the broadest sense of empathic relatedness, of relatedness, the whole relationship between self and other, between one individual and another. It represents healthy relatedness, good listening, and interpersonal well-being. Interpretation of the transference is a key bridge between empathy and transference. When the interpretation is experienced as unempathic, moralizing, bullying, or just like you don't get it, then the aggression released is not due, Kohut asserted, the aggression released, the anger that comes from the client back at the empathy consultant. The anger is not due to a lowering or elimination of defenses against the death instinct, against fundamental biological aggression, instinctive aggression, like Darwinian, you know, uh, big cats eating Bambi the aggression, but it's not aggression released by a lowering or elimination of defenses against aggression, but a reactive rage at getting one's feelings hurt, that my empathy consultant doesn't get me, and at being understood, or I should say, by being misunderstood by one's therapist, being re-traumatized in the transference by unempathic caretakers or disappointed parental idealizations. If such relatedness with its significant component of a good listening is spontaneously constellated in the psychoanalytic encounter, then it may at first glance seem to be pure positive transference, the analyst as quote-unquote good object, or positive non-transference-related based relatedness. Indeed, Winnicott's transitional object, D.W. Winnicott, his transitional object is a special case of a self-object, or one could argue in reverse, the self-object is a special case of the transitional object. But in any case, we'll defer that debate, but it shows that the self-object is a standard part of development in which the imaginary is integrated into the rich system of conventions and symbolisms known as everyday life. In that sense, the family pictures on one's writing desk at one's next to one's Zoom session, I might now say, the family pictures in one's offices are reminders of why one works, making the absent present in what is literally a picture of health.